Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. We have on the podcast, we're talking about character with Dr. James Merritt. The title of the book is Character Still Counts. But you know what still counts, ladies and gentlemen? Harbor the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. That definitely still counts. Do you know when it happens? May 5th through 8th. Exactly. And guess when registration starts? It starts now. It starts now. You know what still counts? Being at the Pepperdine Bible Lecture because it is a beautiful campus. Do you know where the campus is located, Avery? Pepperdine. Pepperdine. Do you know what state that's in? California. Yep. Yep. And uh, what is that right there you see in the picture of Pepperdine's campus? What is that blue stuff right there? Ocean. Right next to the campus. That's a good reason to be there. Uh, if you have never been, uh, it is an outstanding event. This year we have some uh, great speakers, friends of the podcast, like Richard Beck. Uh, Suzanne Stabile is going to be doing a little podcast, or podcast. Uh, me and her are going to be doing a couple sessions together. We've got um, some other friends of the podcast, like Jonathan Stormont, Richard Beck, Sean Palmer, Rick Ashley, Chris Seedman, Sarah Barton, and more. If you want to join me in the beautiful Malibu, California, May 5th or the 8th, come join me for, what is it called, Avery? Harbor, the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Okay, I don't tell them why people should be there. Any reason? Daddy's there. That's a a great reason. That's a great reason. Girls, anything else you think we need to tell our listeners before I start the podcast with Dr. James Merritt? Watch Daddy. Watch Daddy. Yep, that's it. Wait, no. We need to create a podcast for Oliver. Who's Oliver? No, no, our dog Oliver. We need an Oliver cast. <laughs> what would the Oliver for the cast? Dogs, for the dogs to listen. Yeah, the dogs. Dogs would listen the, to it. Yeah. What would Oliver talk about? He'd talk about how to uh, how to uh, bark. Bark. <laughs> they would teach him how to blah, blah, blah. run away. Um, yeah, to to make your parents angry. Yeah. yeah. You think so? Yep. What? Um, hmm. We'll consider that. That's definitely an idea. It's definitely an idea. Well, uh, do you think we should go to the podcast now? Or should we talk about something else? Yep. Oh, we also need to tell you, sorry, the food cast is not a thing anymore. Food cast, yeah, it never happened. We, we it couldn't. Canceled. It got canceled. It got canceled. Anything else? Nope. Nope. Goodbye. Goodbye. All right. Sue, here we go. I'm back to the show. Today we have Dr. James Merritt on the podcast. Welcome to the show, sir. Good to be with you, Luke. Thanks for the opportunity. Now, a lot of my, uh, my listeners. They're not going to know you for uh, being the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, they, they might not know you for uh, your work as a pastor of many years, but they'll know you as the father of friend of the show, Jonathan Merritt. How does it feel to uh, have your son's notoriety be the thing that's carrying you through all these years? You know what makes me feel really good about that? Because you really have, you're not, you haven't hit a nerve, you haven't hit a nail um, I'm very proud of my son. I'm very proud that I'm his dad. I uh, feel blessed of the Lord. Uh, but because his notoriety now has far surpassed mine, uh, I now know that even to the day I die, if I live to be 95 years old, people are still going to be talking about me. Now, it's not going to be about me. It's going to be because of him, but at least my name is going to be mentioned in the conversation. So I'm going to be around for a while. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel about uh, your your parenting stories uh, working their way into some of Jonathan's writing. You know, uh, Jonathan and I, uh, and I really do mean this, we have a tremendous relationship. Um, uh, we, we are best friends. He's my agent. Uh, he edits all of my sermons. Um, he's a fantastic writer. I wish I could have half the writing skills that, uh, that he does. 
Uh, I will tell you and be transparent with your listeners. We do have conversations that will peel paint off the wall at times. Um, we don't see eye to eye on a good number of issues. Uh, but uh, one thing we have both made a uh, you know really an unspoken agreement on. Um, we have unconditional love for each other as father and son. And uh, I told him, uh, I tell him this repeatedly, and he would tell you this, the day I die, he lost his best friend. And I will be the one guy, Luke, that will walk into his world if the whole world walks out. And he knows that. I've got his back. And he's got mine. So, um, you know, it doesn't bother me a bit. Uh, I'll be totally transparent. I wasn't a perfect parent with any of my three boys. Uh, I have, uh, since they've gotten grown, asked for their forgiveness for the times I wasn't as patient with them as I should have been. And I wasn't when I was probably too strict a disciplinarian. And I was. But uh, that's really kind of, frankly, drawn us even closer together. And I have a fantastic relationship with all three of my sons today, especially with Jonathan. Mm hmm. Uh, so he actually mentioned, I forget which book it was, it came out five years ago, I think, uh, a book in which he mentions you uh, seeking uh, forgiveness for something that happened in his childhood. And my dad is uh, is a dear friend of mine. He is, uh, I, everything you said about Jonathan, um, about the relationship you have with Jonathan, except maybe the disagreement. I don't think my dad and I disagree as much as maybe you and Jonathan do. Uh, <laughs> Probably not. But it, he is, uh, he is one of the greatest gifts I've been ever, uh, ever been given in my life. And Amen. Forever grateful uh, to be his son. And when Jonathan was on, he talked about uh, you asking for forgiveness uh, for something from your uh, from his childhood. And as a father of three daughters, my thought was, I don't want them to write a book and uh, have to mention all the things that I have to ask for forgiveness for, because I know I'm doing a lot of things wrong. And I remember my dad called me up and goes, so... Um, you ever going to put anything like that in your books about my parenting? And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, so whatever. We'll let Jonathan write that in his books. I won't put that well, in my book. Well, I can say this, my... Luke. If I had known that my son was going to grow up and be an author and write those things, uh, <laughs> he would have gotten away with murder many times over. I can assure you of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I like, the, I like the, that you said that you guys can disagree on things. And I, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but... You've been a pastor for, for decades now. Uh, how many years has it been? I've been a pastor this, uh, in fact, I just celebrated my 44th year, my 43rd year as a pastor this past December. Wow. And how many years have you been at uh, your current church in Atlanta? Uh, I've been at my current church. Uh, this year will be uh, 17 years. Wow. And, and I was Jonathan, at my prior church at 17 years before that. Wow. So a great history of a long time at the same churches, which is a great sign of fruitful ministry. I think that's an example for all of us young pastors to say, that's the kind of work I want to do. Uh, but I know that Jonathan has, has preached at, at your current church. I, I, yes. least I saw it on social not, not too long ago. And it's part of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a Baptist church in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I don't think all of Jonathan's uh, convictions typically would go hand in hand with every Southern Baptist church. Which might be a generous way to put that. Yeah, that's very uh, yet, generous. <laughs> two questions. First question, do you ever feel the pressure as a pastor that you have to have a son who walks hand in hand with you every on, on every issue and every theological conviction? Absolutely not. Um, as a matter of fact, that's one of the ways I think I, I pray if I've spiritually matured as a Christian, as a dad. And, and let me tell you why. And this may sound a, kind of a cold way of putting it, Luke, and I don't mean it that way, but it's just true. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's Jonathan or you or President Trump or Nancy Pelosi or Billy Graham or, or, or Jack Graham. I don't have to answer for anyone else. I don't have to answer for what they believe. I don't have to answer for what they preach. I don't have to answer for their ministry. I don't have to answer for their political stance. I got to answer for me. 
And and so I just kind of got out of the policeman business a long time ago. Uh, I, will, I will say what I believe is right, and I'll be perfectly willing to say where I think someone is wrong. Uh, but at the end of the day, especially when it comes to my son and to friendships and people that I value, you know, uh, the only thing that would really cause a disruption in our fellowship is if you just literally absolutely turn your back on Jesus and turn your back on God's word. That That's a deal breaker. Other than that, uh, you know, uh, I, I, my love is unconditional. My loyalty is unconditional. And uh, I'm proud that Jonathan is his own man. I would be less than honest if I said I wish he wouldn't change his mind on some big things that we don't agree on, uh, things that I am as absolutely convinced I'm right on that he is convinced I'm wrong on. But at the end of the day, the thing I keep in mind is, you know, anything I can talk him into, uh, Luke, somebody's going to talk him out of it. Anything God talks him into, nobody will talk him out of it. So at the end of the day, when we, you know, have our disagreements, he makes his case, I make mine. Uh, he knows that I'm praying for him and he's praying for me and I just have to leave all that to the Lord. Hmm. The book you just wrote is entitled Character Still Counts, and I think you've just displayed why people should listen to what you have to say about character, because I think few things uh, display greater character than how someone responds when they don't get their way or when people don't see eye to eye with them, and uh, I think that's the kind of character that we all need uh, to testify about and to, to embody. I think it's a beautiful picture. And so you, you don't feel like the need to force your son or anyone to, to do anything because um, that's not your job. But you also have been willing to let him preach at your church. And some people would say, well, I don't, I don't need to force him to believe everything I believe, but that doesn't mean as a pastor I'm going to let him on uh, the quote-unquote stage that, that I occupy. How do you create that uh, understanding where it, it's okay for him to do that? I guess maybe is it born out of the trust that you know he won't say anything that is uh, disrespectful of your ministry and your church? Yeah, and, and let me just say this in all fairness, and Jonathan, I think, would say the same thing if he were here. Uh, Jonathan, it's been quite a while since Jonathan has preached here, a, a good a good mm-hmm. while. First of all, he's been in New York. He's not really down here you know, that much, yeah. and he's traveling uh, everywhere. And, and for a number of reasons, I think, uh, you know, in this season of life, Jonathan probably would not be uh, as comfortable preaching in our church as he might have been in the past. Okay. That said, that said, uh, would I still be comfortable and confident in Jonathan preaching in our church if necessary or if, if the occasion arose? Yes, because to your point, Jonathan does love the Lord. He does have tremendous respect for me. He dearly loves our church, and he would never do anything or say anything that would bring disrepute on him, on me, or the church, or anything else. So it's not so much an issue of trust. It's more of an issue of where kind of you know we've gone and where he's gone in his stage of life that the opportunity just doesn't present itself. So I'm kind of splitting the baby here. Uh, you know, Jonathan, again, probably would not be speaking at our church anytime soon just for a number of reasons, but it's not because I'm afraid of what he would say or it's not because I don't trust him in my pulpit. That has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The, um, the job of a pastor I think is a peculiar one because you have to to balance a lot of expectations that people have for you. And on the subject of character, it seems that like all, all these things that you're considering as you're making decisions on who can preach, who shouldn't preach, uh, how to em- model uh, what uh, embrace and welcome looks like as a parent, as a friend, it seems that there's all these pressures for people to say, this is what I think it should look like and have to live into that. And sometimes I wonder if being a pastor 
makes us focus more on reputation than character. I, I like the way that you've divided those two things. Is reputation and character are two different things. A lot of times we think it's the same thing, but it's not. So first of all, can you describe the differences? And I guess the question then is, um, how, do you think being a pastor de-emphasizes character over reputation? Yeah, um, well, you asked about three questions, which are all great questions. Let me let me begin by saying, I think, well, I think no, they're great questions, Luke. I, I think did mumble what, through multiple questions. That's there, okay. I think what can happen with a pastor, there is a concept today, Luke, that's kind of being denigrated and poo-pooed at times by, by a younger generation, and it's the call of God. I, I just believe that, I believe in the calling of God. And by the way, I don't believe just pastors are called. I think you can be called to be a lawyer. I think you can be called to be a teacher. I think you can be called to be a truck driver. I think, you know, we all ought to be in the calling we believe that God's given to us. But um, I, I think if a pastor would just remember that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm doing this not because it's something I necessarily pursued. It's not because I thought it'd be an easy job. It's not because somebody felt I'd be good at it. I think the number one reason a man ought to be a pastor in the ministry or, or a woman ought to be in the ministry is because they believe that's what God's called them to do. And, and once you settle that in your mind, once you settle it in your mind, that, okay, I'm, I'm fulfilling the calling of God on my life, then I think that you have to realize that you live every day with the realization that God's major concern for you is not what you do. God's major concern with you is who and what you are. Um, <clears throat> I heard a man say one time, God's a lot more, he, told me, he was talking to pastors. He said, Pastor, God is a lot more interested in building you than he is in building your ministry. And so, uh, you know, I, I do believe that there is a huge difference between character and reputation. Character is the root of the tree. Reputation is kind of the shadow of the tree. You can fake reputation. You can deceive people, and they can have an image of you that's really not true. At the end of the day, you can't fake character. And I think, it, you know, ultimately, God has a way of revealing character in all of us. Uh, every day, one of the things I, I, I want to point out to the listeners who will hopefully get the book is one of the reasons why we people cut us off in traffic one of the reasons why we, have, we, we uh, people cheat us in business, uh, one of the reasons why people lie about us behind our back, these are divine opportunities to respond with character. And, and I want to give, you a, uh, give your listeners just a very contemporary illustration. And, and Luke, this is not a political uh, statement. I don't mean it that way at all. What I'm about to say, I don't care whether you're a Democrat or Republican. I don't care if you voted for Trump or didn't vote for Trump. I don't care if you're going to vote for Trump next time or vote for whoever. I, I don't, couldn't care less because I have to answer for the way I vote, not the way you vote. However, I was in Panama this past week on a mission trip, <clears throat> and I, I got in on Tuesday night, and I happened to remember the State of the Union was on. So I got on my phone and, and was live streaming it. Well, I, I, it already started. So I'm about maybe, I don't know, a quarter of the way in, third of the way in. So I saw at the end where the speaker tore up the speech of, of Trump. Mm -hmm. What I did not see was what happened at the beginning, where the president did not shake her hand. And then she, in turn, rather than giving the traditional introduction to the president, it's my high and honor and privilege to introduce the president of the United States. She just said the president of the United States. I didn't, I didn't see one of those. And I, and I tweeted this out, and I meant it. Uh, a pox on both houses. Um, uh, they have, both of them had an opportunity to, to, to show character. Both of them had an opportunity to take the high road. I tell people all the time, when people say, I don't know what to do, somebody's done me wrong, I, I love this saying, take the high road, there's not a lot of traffic on it. 
And so, you know, the president had an opportunity to shake her hand. She had the opportunity, on the other hand, even if he didn't, to, to, to give him a proper introduction and don't tear the speech up. Mm-hmm. They both missed it. What they didn't realize was, you know what? God gave you an opportunity to say, okay, this is what character shows. This is what classy action is. And they both failed the test. So one of the things I hope people, as they read the book, will remember, um, you don't need character unless there's situations where you need character. And that's exactly why we run into terrible, bad, unfair, unjust situations so that we can respond to them with the kind of character that God wants us to have. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering how long uh, in the podcast uh, it would take to get to President Trump, because when you talk about character, somehow you knew Trump was going to come up in the conversation. So let the record show you brought him up, (laughs) not me. Um, Okay. I like the the metaphor of you know character is the roots uh, you know is the tree the the shadow is uh, reputation now the fruit is what in the metaphor yeah well it, 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 the real fruit is is the character traits in the book that really are the traits it's the real fruit is humility the real fruit is honesty and by the way let me just say this I'm, since you brought Trump up let me go back one more time. <laughs> <laughs> this is what will surprise readers about the book. It really will. There are going to be people going to read this book on both, uh, particularly on one particular side. And they're going to say, "I'm not going to read that because that's probably going to be attack on my guy, or attack on my party, or attack on this person." Outside of the introduction, where I do have to talk about the political situation, not just today but in the past, and how character has played a part in our political process. There's no politics in the book. I don't personally attack anybody. I don't personally attack Democrats, Republicans. The, the man who's president now, the man who's president before, the lady who ran against him, none of that's in the book. It, has, it really isn't. Now, can you take the book, read the book, which is all true, and then just you know say, okay, how does this apply to what we should expect in our leaders? How does this apply in maybe how I should evaluate who I vote? That's a totally different issue. But the book itself deals – it's not a political book at all. It, it, but but the reason why my publisher wanted me to write it is because of the political climate, uh, Luke, and the political situation that we find ourselves in. The, the way I understood uh, how you were using politics is that you, you made a reference to how the same people, uh, you know, 15 years ago were complaining because character should preclude someone who is in office from staying in office because of their, uh, their willingness to be duplicitous with their words and their actions were, uh, were less than savory to say the least. Um, but those same people now that the person is in their party have become reticent about the value of character. And what I heard you saying is that this is something that, that both sides are doing. It's not just one side or the other, but is that how you're trying to communicate it? Did I, did I understand absolutely, what absolutely. And to be honest, it's just disingenuous to try to deny that. It, it just is. Um, you know, I lived during the Clinton era, and I, yep. I you know, I had my feelings about <clears throat> his conduct in office. And um, <clears throat> I'm just being honest, and I'm stating the obvious. Uh, and the president's not the only one, but but sure. I mean, there. I, I wish the president uh, was more circumspect in the way he refers to others and and, and and the way the titles he gives to other people and so forth and some yeah. of the language that he uses. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how anybody can be critical of me when I say that. But on the, and, and yes, both sides do it. But at the same time, I, I have to say in this specific situation, he's the president. Mr. President, you're the president. And he's my president. And I pray for him. And I'm so thankful for the many great things he's done in office. It's all aside from that. But you're the president. Act presidential. 
And, and I do believe that character counts in the presidency. I believe it counts in the Congress. I believe it counts in the Senate. I believe it counts in all types of leadership and all walks of life. So, you know, and so I really do try to be consistent in, in that frame of thinking. Yeah, and and I sense that that's what you were doing. Uh, you mentioned earlier, I, I believe he's your friend. I think you helped nominate him uh, to maybe replace you. In this. I, I'm not Baptist. I don't really know all the convention stuff. But Jack Graham, at one point, he's the uh, the pastor at uh, Prestonwood in, in right. Dallas, where uh, one of my old worship leaders used to be on staff there. So uh, he has been an open advocate for Trump. And how, how do you respond when you see some of your friends, not just... Um, uh, serving a congregation that has both Republicans and Democrats, but openly becoming partisan with their politics. And do you f- do you feel the need that there's a conversation that you need to have or you need to respond? Or do you feel like that is is a place for you to, to be vocal with, with those who are close to you? Yeah. Well, let me preface my answer by saying, and I'm glad you brought Jack up specifically. Um, I don't know of any pastor or brother in Christ or friend that I respect more than Jack Graham, period. End of discussion. I have tremendous respect for Jack. Uh, through the years, Jack has been very kind to me. Uh, Jack's been a friend to me. And uh, I'm just not going to let anything come between us and, and the friendship. The direct answer to your question is, on my end, I don't see any need for a conversation. It may be that he and others would want to have a conversation they've never tried to with me. I've never, you know, I don't talk about this publicly. And, and this is where I am on this whole situation. Um, you know, there the vast majority of the evangelicals voted for Trump, but there's a, a element that did not vote for Trump. I have a saying in my life, Ben, about politics. I never make the political personal. And I think that's, that's something good. that's poisoning that's our country. It's poisoning us. So, okay, do I here's my point. Do I understand the case that people have made and they're in my church why they voted for Trump versus uh, the alternative? I get it. I understand it. I, I see their point. Do I also see the reasoning behind people that said, look, I can't vote for the guy. I, I, I just characters too important to me. I just can't cross that bridge. It's a bridge too far. I see that, too. What I hope both sides would, would, would say at the end of the day is, OK, you did vote for him. I didn't vote for him. You know, you've decided to go all in. I just can't go there. Leave it there. Let's don't make it personal. Let's don't get mad at each other. Let's don't get upset with each other. Let's do what we both know we need to do. Let's pray for the president. We should do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you feel convicted and led that you ought to go to the White House and meet with the president, that's fine. That's that's your call. I don't have to answer for you. You don't have to answer for me. And so I'm not, I'm not upset with anybody. Uh, I, I'm not going to get angry about it. But I do believe that both sides are guilty. And you see it, you see it in Washington right now, Ben. You can see it it's so easily. It's so personal now. And when you here, – here's, here's my saying. When politics become personal – they become poisonous, and that's where we are. Yeah, yeah. You, you had uh, Russell Moore uh, write the forward for your book, and uh, for some of us, I, like myself, who's again, like I said, not Baptist, I, I didn't really know a whole lot about Russell Moore until before the election, and he had some comments that were in line with um, what uh, basically the president of my denomination, which is Max Lucado, uh, who unofficially is the Pope of the Churches of Christ. He made some comments right. about character. And a great man, by the way. Of Yes, yes, of, of course. And he, uh, like Max, he'd written some stuff and made some comments before. And it seemed that people had a personal response to him expressing the value of character. Uh, and I know that there was uh, some backlash 
in the convention with him and there are people who are trying to pull away because of his, uh, his willingness to talk about that. Um, how do you, how do you balance that where you see people making it personal with him and understanding that this is really, um, disingenuous to not let him express his feelings on something like that? Yeah, well, to be frank and upfront, um, Luke, I I didn't care for that at all. Uh, I think they kind of felt like that being the head of an agency in the convention, uh, they probably felt like he should take more of a quote-unquote neutral stance. Mm -hmm. I I didn't see it that way. Uh, I felt like he was being consistent. I think had it been, again, a Bill Clinton, he would have said the same thing. The question I would say about what everything that Russ Moore said is very simple. Now, did he tell the truth or not? Now, if, if Russ Moore t- told an untruth or said something that could not be substantiated, I'd have an issue with it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he told the truth and simply, as we say, called a spade a spade, uh, I, I just did not have an issue with it. And it goes back to what I said that, you know, there's this atmosphere now that, frankly and honestly, on both sides, if you say anything positive about Trump, you're going to make somebody angry. And if you say anything even remotely negative about Trump, you make somebody angry. I don't understand that. I just don't. I, I'm just being honest. I, I I don't know why it has to be so personal. And I'm not going to make it personal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things you you observe uh, or, or you note in the book is some of the research that Google put out with their, uh, I think it's called the Engram data. Not yes, to be confused yes. with the Enneagram data, which is much different. No, no. Um, which I didn't less... know about until I did research for the book, by the way. Oh, really? No, That's I didn't a sh- know about it. Well, y- y- your son's not sure which number you are. Uh, we'll tell you yeah. by the end of the podcast, but we're going to guess. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but in, in that study, it, it concluded that words about character have been on, de- on the decline for years. Yeah. And so when you're trying to write a book about that in a climate in which character seems to be not only um, seen less, but it's literally spoken less, do you find the need that this is something that we need to regain? And that's um, part of the reason why you use the language of reclaiming uh, and restoring character? Uh, I'll make it even stronger uh, than that, Luke. If we don't reclaim it, I don't see much of a future for us at all. Our founding fathers said, as you know, I think it was, it may have been Madison, I think, uh, but it was one of the founding fathers that said, our republic was founded on a religious and a moral people, and it won't work for anybody else. And, and um, you know, well, and of course, we know that a lot of them were deists and all that, but still, yeah. our founding fathers had enough sense to know if we do not build our nation on some type of religious, spiritual, moral foundation, we're never going to make it. We're not going to last. And uh, there's a reason why uh, Eisenhower, I think it was, was the president who in 1952 said, you know what, we're going to say in God we trust. There's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. And and so, um, you know, I I really do believe that 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 is, uh, I think it's a critical issue uh, for, and and by the way, not just for the nation. Um, Parents need everybody, anybody raising a child today, we need all the help we can get with positive role models. We do. And we need our athletes and we need our politicians and our political leaders and our religious leaders to stand up and on a daily basis show a younger generation, this is how people with character treat each other. This is how people with character talk to each other. This is how people with character act with each other. We, we've got to get back to that. 
Mm-hmm. The uh, I think it was a metaphor of David Brooks who talked about the difference of uh, resume skills versus uh, yes. what is it eulogy? Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Your resume versus eulogy. Yeah. Where where people have developed the ability to get a job to get ahead, but those aren't the things people talk about in the end. And it seems that if we're restoring character, we need to devalue the resume skills as not the paramount of uh, what a good person looks like. And is there something that, um, besides like the embodiment of this by our leaders, by the people we look to, what are other ways that we can help, especially those of us who are connected to, to churches, to, to kind of flip the script on that and to, to lean more into the things that you'll talk about, in, or someone will talk about you and your eulogy instead of just on your job description or your, your resume? Well, let, let me, let me, let me get, let's make this very practical. Let's just okay. make this very practical. You know, if if I came to you, if you were looking for someone to fulfill a position, and I know what the three C's are, competency, character, chemistry, I get all that. But if I were to come to you and I say, hey, hey uh, Luke, I want to recommend someone to you. And I don't know where they went to college. I don't know what their GPA was. And I don't really exactly know what their skills are. But I will tell you about this. This person has integrity, honesty, humility, loyalty, respect, authenticity, generosity, courage, perseverance, self-control, forgiveness, and whether they are faithful. Anybody with a modicum of common sense at a minimum is going to say, I got to talk to that person. I want to meet this person. Okay. And I would say in the vast majority of times, unless you're trying to hire them to run a NASA program and they majored in home economics, I get that. But other than something like that, you say what you're going to do when you find someone like that. Here's what what great leaders do. They go, you know what? I'm going to find a spot for you. Yeah. People like you are hard to find. And, 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 and so I'm, I'm just saying all that just to say that, uh, you know, I think some people think, well, yeah, character is nice, but I, I need somebody that, that's competent. Well, I know I get that. And I need somebody I can get along. Well, first of all, if you have a person of, of, of character, you're going to have chemistry. I, I defy anyone to show me if anyone has these kind of traits in their life, they can work with anybody, I think, in, in, under almost any circumstance. As far as competence, what I have found is – a person of character is teachable. A person of character wants to learn. A person of character doesn't have it all figured out. And so a person of character can be taught and trained in many ways where you're better off with a person that at the beginning may be more competent, but they're a know-it-all. And they're not really buying into the company way of doing things. And they're not buying, you know, buying into the, the well, this is this is our this is who we are. This is the this is the blank corporation way of doing things. So that's why I think that, that again, this whole issue of character, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a spider. It's got, it's got so many tentacles, and, 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 and there's so many different ways that character can have such a positive impact on, on homes and businesses and governments and families and football teams and financial institutions. It's, it's phenomenal to me. Yeah, yeah. So, so character, is it, uh, is it formed in adversity or is it revealed in adversity? Uh, as my mentor Adrian Rogers would say, I would say the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> um, I, I do. I, I think it's both. I Me think too. I think there are times when you know, yeah, sure, it reveals. It does reveal, right? But but let's face it. Uh, I, I think that I, I've never been in the military. Here's a good example. I've never been in the military. Um, do I think that I have the courage to get in a foxhole when the bullets are whizzing by my head and the bombs are exploding around me? I don't know, but I will tell you this. If it's not formed in a hurry, you're not going to live very long anyway. 
So I I believe it is both. I believe that character can be formed. I I believe that character can be adapted. And I believe character can grow, and you can go stronger in character. But I also believe at the end of the day, character is revealed. And and here's here's just to take that same analogy. Um, I guarantee you, I was in Normandy about a couple of years ago, which everybody would go to if they can, Luke. I was in Normandy. I guarantee you the vast majority of people, uh, of our brave soldiers that took that that beach that day, uh, they were scared to death. They were absolutely scared and probably did not know if they could really pull it off or not. But in in the crucible of the moment, uh, a gracious God and a love for their country forged in them a courage they may not have even known they had. And it revealed to them, you know what, I can't lay my life on my line for my country. I think the people that probably didn't fare as well are the people who said, man, nothing scares me. I'm not afraid of anything. You know, I'm macho man. I probably got a feeling that when that first bullet hit, they realized this is not what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. So I, I really do believe it can be formed, but I also believe it's revealed. Mm-hmm. Can, can you give us some, uh, obviously the, that example is a life or death situation that, uh, Hopefully, uh, few people will ever find themselves in. G- give us a, a like a day to day kind of character situation. Well, uh, Luke, I can tell you, even as a pastor, here, here's a great example. Uh, even today, uh, I sent out a, a Twitter about something, and uh, I got a reply back from a guy I don't know. Never met the guy. He's a pastor here in Georgia, and um, you know, he was questioning my uh, theolo- my theology. He was questioning whether or not I'm still I still believe what I've always said that I believe about the fundamentals of the faith, uh, just because of a, of a tweet that I sent out. So I replied to him, and uh, I said to him, I said, uh, 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 brother, uh, uh, you know, Ma- according to Matthew 18, if you got an issue with me, you ought to deal with me personally. I'm not hard to contact. Uh, please feel free to call my church, and I'll be more than happy to talk to you. Well, he sent back this little smarmy response and and, and, and something to the effect that and, and basically accused me of some things that are just not true. I repeated what I said again. I said, look, I said, uh, this is not the, the, the venue to, to, to talk about this. Um, you know, I would really appreciate it if you would talk to me face to face. He sent back a response, and here's what he said. He said, well, you know, uh, Paul rebuked Peter publicly in the second chapter of Galatians because the gospel was at stake. And I tweeted back and I said, you're right. But before he did that, he confronted him in his own words, face to face. He did it the right way. And I said, that's the way to handle it. Well, he came back and he said something kind of smarty. I never got, I never kind of got on that level. I just texted back and I said, look, it's obvious you don't have the courtesy to handle this in a Christian fashion. So the conversation is over. I'm just going to leave you with this. And I quoted a passage out of 1 Corinthians. No man judges me. I don't even judge myself. My judge is the Lord. Now, you don't know me that well, Luke, but I've got some, some of my staff sitting here. I'm pretty quick, and I know how to bring a, 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 I bring guns to gunfights. I don't bring knives. And, and I know how to cut somebody down to size real quick. I'm quick. But I realized in dealing with this pastor, this brother who I don't know, Gave him every opportunity to say, look, I'll talk to you. And if I've done something wrong, you know, let me know. When he finally didn't, I cut it off in a gracious way. And, and that's just one example that, that I would give you. So we all have, a, have opportunities. Every, somebody cuts you off on the freeway. Here's a good example. Somebody cuts you off on the freeway. Okay, you're going to blow your horn, cuss them out, give them the bird? Or are you going to say, 
hey, thank God he didn't hit me. No harm, no foul. Lord, I just praise you that everybody's okay and let the matter go. Self-control. Exercise the character trait of self-control. That's good. That's good. Well, uh, the book is entitled Character Still Counts, and it is out. Uh, is it out now? It's out now. Yes. Uh, it is, Luke. It came out last week, yes. Outstanding. So people can get a copy of it uh, wherever they want. But uh, it is an honor to have you on. Dr. Merritt, thanks for the time, and uh, best wishes. Luke, you're fantastic. And it, listen, you can join my team anytime to help me kind of straighten Jonathan out anytime you want to. Well, I know there needs to be a lot of people on that team, so I'm more than willing to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to play my small role in that large task. Yeah. All no, the best. Great to be with you, Luke. Thanks, thanks a lot for the time. Thanks buddy. for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>